The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Hinniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing the prospect of investing in credit card companies. We'll dive into their business model, the major companies, and the general business quality of credit card companies. I'll even share my favorite credit card company that you should consider that you could consider investing in today. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings help me to grow the podcast audience and to for other people to find it in the Apple podcast algorithms. I believe it also applies for Spotify, music, um, any of these other platforms where you may be listening to your to this podcast, whether it's Stitcher, any of them, please consider giving me a rating and review. Your reviews help me immensely. So thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you'll give me some good feedback. So let's dive into the outline. So there are four major credit card companies. If you live in the United States or uh, many of the developed nations of the world, you've probably heard of them. Um, you've probably heard of them anyway, but the four major credit card companies are Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover Financial. Visa has the ticker V, MasterCard has the ticker MA, American Express is the ticker AXP, and Discover Financial is DFS. So you have four major credit card companies, and this is what would be characterized as an oligopoly. And it's in part why I want to talk about credit card companies today. As an investor, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find companies that can earn sustainable returns on capital over time. One of the key ways in which you do that is to find companies that have a moat, find companies that can resist competition and not have to give up their margins due to competition. One of the ways that this can be done is through working in an oligopoly. And that's what this is. An oligopoly is when you have, it's not a monopoly where you only have one provider of a product, but instead an oligopoly is a small group of providers, which means that in general, they aren't they don't have to compete with each other very much in terms of price in order to sell their product. 
And what the credit card companies are selling is the ability to process payments between a customer and a business. And this service that they provide is very valuable, but if they had to provide a lot of competition, there'd be a lot of price competition because the companies would have to compete to see who would be on which network. How do you convince a customer to come onto your network? How do you convince a business to accept your network? You might have to compete on price. And what makes this interesting in large part because there's only four major credit card companies is that they don't really have to compete with each other on price. They might compete with each other on branding. You might see credit cards themselves competing on rewards. You might see companies competing on how many merchants they have. But the main part of their business is earning money through fees charged to businesses. And those fees are not very different between the different credit card companies. They're fairly consistent at about 0.13%, in that ballpark range for the fees that are charged for processing a payment on, let's say, the Visa payment network or on the MasterCard payment network. Um, the other payment markers, of course, the American Express network and the Discover Financial network or the Discover network. And so what you'll see in this business model is what, let's say Visa is doing, is they will take a cut of basically all transactions that take place on the network. If you have a Visa credit card and you go and make a $100 purchase for, I don't know, let's say tickets to the game, to the, a baseball game, or tickets to a football game, and you spend $100 on your Visa card, when you make that purchase, Visa is going to get a 0.14% fee from that. And I, and I don't know the exact fee that's currently being charged, but I know that's in the ballpark. But So we're just going to use it in this example, and you can quibble over the numbers later. But it's in the ballpark of 0.14%. So on your $100 expenditure, on your $100 charge of the, your credit card, Visa's going to get $0.14 cents back to them as, as a company. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but... What happens is credit cards have grown to be immensely popular in the United States, and they're continuing to grow in popularity throughout the rest of the world. Europe was behind in terms of credit card popularity historically, but that has been growing over time. Credit cards are becoming more and more popular. And if the credit cards aren't popular, you'll often see that debit cards are popular and the debit cards are still using these payment networks that are owned by Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. And what you can see is, well, okay, with $100 in spending, Visa might only earn 14 cents. But if you were to have a billion dollars in spending spent on Visa credit cards, well, now you're earning millions of dollars in profit from that. Let me check that math. Yeah, so the math on that would be if you for every billion dollars spent on the Visa network, Visa will earn a 1.4 million dollars in payment processing fees. Now, that's a significant chunk of money. So how does Visa make money? Well, they don't just have billions of dollars spent on the Visa network. You have billions of dollars spent on the network on a daily basis. They're processing trillions of dollars of transactions in the year. And that adds up to 
large, large amounts of money earned by Visa. Same is true for MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. You have very high amounts of payments taking place on their network. Now, what you'll see is although these four credit card companies operate in an oligopoly, and there's really only those four competitors in this payment processing, you will also find that Visa and MasterCard own a substantial part of the network. Um, Almost the entire market share is taken up by Visa and MasterCard as in terms of transaction volume. So if we're saying dollar transaction volume, so whether it's being used in dollars or euros or Japanese yen or other currencies, when converted to dollars, that transactional volume is highest on Visa and MasterCard's network. And it's tied just to a very large degree. I believe they own over 80% of the market share in terms of the credit card company usage. That's significant because what it means is that on 80% of when 80% of the time when credit cards are used, Visa and MasterCard are earning revenue off of those purchases. Visa doesn't have to sell a product. They don't have to, let's say when you're buying groceries and you spend $1,000 on groceries for the month, Visa's taking a cut of that grocery budget. They're getting at least a dollar from your grocery spending. And that dollar is money that they didn't have to worry about selling groceries. They didn't have to ship the groceries. They didn't have to um, operate a retail establishment. They didn't have to hire workers that to work there. All they had to do is process that payment. So it's a very, very attractive business model because they get to take a cut of every transaction without having to put into work to sell that product. Um, there's another key part of this though. When you look at the credit card companies, they're not all the same. And what that is, is that Some of these credit card companies take credit risk and some of them don't. And some of them have no credit risk. And what you'll find is that Visa and MasterCard have no credit risk and American Express and Discover Financial have credit risk. And the difference here is that Visa and MasterCard are a pure play in the credit card space. They are solely focused on being payment processors. They're trying to process payments and transfer money from one party to another and to be the middleman in that transaction. They're taking a piece of that transaction for the payment processing. American Express and Discover are doing the exact same thing, but they go one step further. And the difference is, is that American Express and Discover will make, will lend money to customers that are using their cards. Historically, Discover would, all branded Discover cards were provided by the Discover Bank. And American Express also has cards that are provided from the American Express Bank. Now, there are some differences here, not I don't believe it's true now that every American Express card and every Discover card is being from the bank of American Express or Discover. However, 
most of them are being issued by these companies, in particular by Discover, they're operating as a bank. So when you have a Discover card and you decide to spend $100 on that Discover card, Discover is not only taking a fee for the payment processing, they're also the one loaning you $100 to make that purchase. Because what credit cards are at the end of the day is they're a loan mechanism. By using a credit card, you're not having to pay with cash, which means that someone else is paying the merchant with cash at the time that the purchase is being made or later, depending upon the terms with that merchant. But from the customer's point of view, they're not having to spend their own money to make the purchase. Instead, they are borrowing that money from a bank. And for if you have a Discover card, you're borrowing the $100 from Discover and Discover is charging you interest on that transaction. Of course, limited to the terms of your credit card agreement, some credit cards aren't going to pay charge you interest until you've are you're running a balance all those sorts of things but but at the end of the day you are taking on a loan every time you swipe your credit card the difference between a visa and a discover is that visa does not loan any of their customers money so they are solely a payment processor when a visa customer has a visa card that visa card is being offered by a bank like bank of america or wells fargo and wells fargo is the one lending the customer the money so when you swipe your visa card for a hundred dollar charge wells fargo is loaning you a hundred dollars and visa is simply providing the payment processing now that payment processing is extremely valuable. That's why these companies can charge a fee on them. Payment processing allows people and organizations to interact and exchange money without knowing each other at all. They don't have to have any negotiations. They don't have to discuss fees. They don't have to discuss terms, conditions, um, location of payment, timing of payment, terms of payment. All of these things are very valuable. You also don't have to determine because Every time a credit card purchase is made, there's a loan that's taking place. The, it doesn't have to be determined whether the person has the capability of making the loan. The payment processor is able to make all those connections quickly, practically immediately, to allow transactions to occur without delaying the transaction to determine if the person has the capability of making the payment. Now, that might sound weird for someone who doesn't understand the history of this industry but basically before you know if you were to go back 100 years you're or longer depending upon where you kind of go to you know if you wanted to make a purchase you had to use cash you had to use um, coins you had to use currency to make a to buy something you know if you're at a restaurant you had to pay in cash all the time every time there's no option to pay with card or credit um, but eventually you'd have groups, you'd have clubs, you'd have diners, um, or restaurants that were willing to lend credit to trustworthy individuals where they would be able to say, Hey, um, you know, they were, you know, let's say you had a favorite, uh, club or restaurant and you'd go there and you would eat there four times a, a month. They might be willing to say, Hey, you can just charge it all to your tab and you could pay your tab once a month. Well, the only way that works is if you are clearly a member of that organization, 
they knew who you were. They trusted you. Um, you had a history of pe- making your payments. You had a history of being to do that. They knew what, that your income would be able to provide for paying for the goods that you were you were doing. You were paying, and it allowed you to purchase products and services without needing to make the payment at the time of service. Well, that expanded from, well, okay, well, how do you make the jump from people that the company knows very well and interacts with on a daily basis to customers that they don't know very well? And it was that jump that is where these payment processors came into play. Because when it was first integrated, the struggle was always that, okay, well, you might say, hey, you know, I have my bank will cover this transaction. I have money. Well, so then they needed to call your bank and get them on the phone and say, hey, I have my customer, John Doe. John Doe wants to make a $50 purchase. Does he have $50 um, to make this purchase? And can you add it to my account? And then the, the bank is like, yes, he has $50. Can we talk to John Doe? John Doe gets on the phone. Yes, I want to send this transaction over and it's good. You know, I'm trying to trying to buy my dinner. And so it was a very tedious process. Well, these credit card companies came into the picture, decided, hey, we can make this easier. It began with, of course, the banks working together in a consortium, trying to find a faster and easier way to do this. And that's how the original companies got started. They're trying to find an easier way to do it, to make these payments between banks that don't talk to each other, banks that don't know each other, and customers of different banks. Because it's really easy if you have the same bank as the business that you're buying from. So if you're in a small town and you're in small in the yeah, you know, you're at Johannesville or something and you ha- you you have you bank at Johannesville Bank and the restaurant that you're eating at has their money at the Johannesville Bank. So then it's really easy for them to call up and say, hey, you know, John Doe wants to make this purchase. Oh yeah, we have John Doe's accounts. We'll just transfer it to your account and you're done. It's very different in a globalized world, not just globalized, but just a big world where there's a lot of different transactions and a lot of different parties trying to make a transaction. That's where these payment processors come into play. But the difference between these is very clear. Visa and MasterCard have made it a corporate strategy to not take on credit risk. And they outsourced the issuing of credit cards and the issuing of the loans to other companies. They're outsourcing this issuance to banks. So banks sign up with Visa or MasterCard to offer a Visa or MasterCard card. And all that Visa and MasterCard does is basically sell them their brand, license the brand to those banks to issue a card with their branding on it. And then that brand then represents which payment network your card is being used on. So if you have a Visa card, Visa is not the company you're interacting with. You're going to get that card issued by your bank. And the bank is the one interacting with Visa and the one that's setting up that payment processing. What that means is that if you don't pay your bill... Visa's not on the hook for the money. If you buy a $40,000 car with your Visa card and you don't pay your bill, Visa doesn't lose $40,000 because you didn't pay your bill. Instead, your bank, Wells Fargo, loses $40,000. What this means, and should be very clear, is that Visa and MasterCard are relatively low risk because they don't have to take on the risk 
of failure for payment. Now they provide some services to banks. They provide some ability to validate transactions, help make sure they aren't frauds, all those those sorts of things. And they charge accordingly. And those um, different services they provide can be worth different amounts. Um, but they aren't taking the credit risk, so they are lower risk than a company that does. Now, American Express and Discover Financial both take credit risk. This is why you can't look at them solely as payment processors or credit card companies. They are both a credit card company and a bank. And really the way that I think about this and the way I differentiate between them, I don't know if those companies would want it differentiated that way, is that American Express is both a payment processor and a bank focused on higher end clients and Discover Financial is a payment processor and a bank focused on more general clients. And what these companies do is when you have your Discover card and you make a purchase, you're giving that money loaned to you by Discover. The Discover bank is loaning that to you. And what that allows Discover to do is they are able to charge higher fees than Visa or MasterCard because they're providing both the payment processing service and the banking service. And so they take a, they keep a higher percentage of their fees that they charge than Visa and MasterCard does. Although Visa and MasterCard, you might hear, have high fees. Same thing with American Express. They might have high fees. Visa and MasterCard aren't actually keeping most of that fee. They pass on the fee that the banks are charging for that transaction, and they simply pass that money back to the bank from the business that they receive it from. Meanwhile, Discover and American Express can keep those larger amounts for themselves. So even though Discover and American Express have lower transaction volumes, they receive a higher percentage of each purchase as revenue than Visa and MasterCard does. But again, they have that credit risk. So they have to evaluate borrowers to see who is a good risk for lending money. Because again, every time a credit card purchase is made, you are taking out a loan. Now, it might be a small loan. It might be a $4 loan. It might be a 10 cent loan. It might be a $2,000 loan. You can have huge range in what you're allowed to do with your credit cards. But it's a loan. So... What it means is that you have those two different business models. Your first business model for the credit card company is taking a cut of all transactions on the network. This is incredibly profitable, and it means that increasing the volume of transactions on your network is an incredibly high priority. So how do you do that? Well, you increase the transactions on your network by having a good brand. Visa and MasterCard are some of the most well-known brands in the world. And being highly reliable. When a merchant, when a customer wants to use their card at a merchant, they need to have the ability to make that purchase. So you need to communicate and negotiate with millions and millions of businesses around the world to make sure that your credit card can be accepted at as many businesses as possible. So Visa and MasterCard are both, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover are doing these negotiations on a regular basis to increase the number of merchants that accept their card. You also need to offer that transaction quickly. It needs to be relatively seamless and relatively instantaneous to confirm that, yes, this is the person with the card, this person has money to make this purchase, and that, yes, this purchase can be made. Because when you do this, you can increase the number of transactions on your network. So, What is the quality of these businesses? Well, 
I think the quality of these businesses is extremely high. The credit card processing industry, the payment processing industry, is a very high quality business, especially for Visa and MasterCard, who are higher quality than American Express and Discover because they do not take on the credit risk. In addition, they basically have a an override on every transaction that's taking place in the economy that uses a credit card. So this provides a lot of benefits. First and foremost, it's inflation-adjusted growth. You do not, if, if you want to grow your income and you produce a product like the iPhone, Apple has two choices. They can either increase the price of their product or they can sell more iPhones. Or they, I guess they have a third choice, they can cut costs. Visa and MasterCard don't have to do anything to increase their, their revenue each year. All they have to do is allow the economy to grow and the number of transactions will increase over time, which means that if inflation goes up 3%, it's highly likely that Visa and MasterCard's earnings are going to go up at least 3% because inflation is a measure of price. And if price increases, then the transaction volume has increased on a dollar-weighted amount for Visa and MasterCard. So it means since they're taking a percentage of the price, their absolute earnings have increased. And this is now this benefit applies for Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, but it's especially important for Visa and MasterCard because their entire business is focused around this area of increased transaction volume and transaction size. And having the ability to withstand high inflation, no inflation, middle inflation, without any change in business strategy is incredibly valuable, and it's hard to understate it. If inflation goes up to 10 or 20% per year sometime in the next decade or two, that's very damaging to many businesses. But it won't hurt the major credit card companies. And that's something you can rest assured with if you invest in Visa or MasterCard. But your quality of the business is quite high as well for American Express and Discover. Now, these are banks. And banks have the risk that you need to retain your customers over time and you need to try and earn a good amount of money over time. You need to make smart lending decisions. You need to do all of these things. Now, this makes it a lower quality business than Visa and MasterCard because now you're taking on credit risk. You take on the chance that you don't do a good job of vetting your customers and it can become difficult to properly manage all of these concerns. However, American Express have a huge advantage over other banks. Many banks are struggling in the current day and age because interest rates are rock bottom. You have many interest rates throughout Europe that are negative, which means banks are struggling to make a profit because interest rates on government bonds have gone negative. Many banks in the U.S. are also struggling to turn a solid profit when their bonds, although they aren't negative in the United States, have dropped in the interest rate that you can earn for owning government bonds. That means that when companies want to make loans, when banks want to make loans, it's harder for them to turn a profit because they're, the interest they can earn on their loans is low. So what's different about credit cards? Well, for American Express and Discover, 
they're able to charge a higher interest rate on a credit card payment than they can charge than another bank would be able to charge on, let's say, a mortgage. It wouldn't be uncommon for a credit card to have an interest rate of 10%, but it would be incredibly uncommon for a mortgage to have an interest rate of 10% today. Now, historically, there were times where mortgages were over 10%, but right now you can get mortgages for less than 4% on a 30-year mortgage in the United States. So when you compare Discover or American Express to a Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is lending out its money at 4% on a mortgage, and Discover is lending its money out at 10% on a credit card, Discover and American Express suddenly become a lot more attractive as possible bank investments because they have the ability to make their loans at much higher rates. In addition, there are other companies, of course, that offer credit cards. Bank of America offers credit card. Wells Fargo offers credit cards. Capital One. In fact, you also have banks that focus primarily on credit cards. But the advantage that American Express and Discover have over those companies, and these would be companies that are offering credit cards on the Visa and MasterCard networks, is that Discover and American Express, Discover and American Express have a built-in name advantage. They are one of the four major credit card providers. And a lot of times when people have a Visa card, they're not necessarily thinking about the bank that's providing it. They're saying, I have a Visa credit card. And it's the same way with, I have an American Express credit card or I have a Discover credit card. And that branding advantage is huge because not only do these does American Express and Discover have an advantage over a standard bank like Wells Fargo and... Bank of America in terms of the rate they can receive on their loan, but they have an advantage in terms of the retention rate for their customers and the brand recognition in the marketplace. When you see Discover and American Express more often than you see the name Wells Fargo or Capital One, that's an advantage in the marketplace. So it means they're more likely to keep and grow their customer base over time than their competitors in the credit card issuing market. So, what are the potential threats? Because you always need to consider potential threats. And I think the number one threat that has to be mentioned here is overvaluation. So, I mentioned Visa and MasterCard are incredibly high-quality businesses. These are some of the best businesses in the world in terms of quality. But what it means is a lot of people know this as well. So, let's talk about valuation. So Visa is currently trading at a P.E. ratio of 35. MasterCard's trading at a P.E. ratio of 42. Amazon, or not Amazon, American Express is trading at a P.E. ratio of 15. And Discover is trading at a P.E. ratio of 10. Now, I've said that I believe Visa and MasterCard are higher quality than American Express and Discover. And they trade accordingly. At a P.E. ratio in the 30s and 40s, you're talking about an incredibly long time where growth must be maintained in order to earn a good return on your investment. On the other hand, P.E. ratios of 15 and 10 are much more attractive. In fact, a P.E. ratio of 10 is a great entry point for any business that's growing their earnings and is able to pay out their earnings over time in terms of dividends and 
stock buybacks. And what you see is this is exactly what's happening. Many banks in America, but especially American Express and Discover, are buying back stock and they're buying them back hand over fist. Which is why when I think about which of these companies I'm most attracted to, it happens to be Discover. Although I would gladly buy Visa and MasterCard over Discover if they were all trading for 10 times earnings, the fact of the matter is that only one of these four companies is currently trading at 10 times earnings. Which is why I've been considering Discover as a potential investment. Because what you see when you look at Discover is you see a company that's paying out a dividend, and their dividend's about 2%. They're also buying back about 8% of their stock every year. So you have a company paying out 10% of their, 10% of the company's value every year to shareholders. But it's also growing at over 5% a year. So you're looking at a very easy and very understandable 15% per year return from Discover if they continue to grow and continue to be able to buy back 8% of their stock and pay a 2% dividend. Now, that's certainly not guaranteed. They are going to be cyclical because they're driven by transaction volumes. And during recessionary markets, you should see Discover's earnings go down. You should see their earnings go down as well because they're going to have higher credit risk. However, they have the ability to grow like any other credit card company because they are a credit card company. And so the ability to have that growth while being at a lower price is what seems attractive about Discover. But it's also a huge threat to Visa and MasterCard because they are highly overvalued. Um, some other potential threats are new payment mechanisms. So if you have a new digital currency like Bitcoin and Bitcoin takes off and becomes the new global standard for payments, then all of a sudden you you have no need for Visa and MasterCard as a payment network because discover not discover Bitcoin is a payment network. You can trade Bitcoin on the internet and it doesn't have to pay a fee to Visa, it doesn't have to pay a fee to MasterCard. So if Bitcoin were were to become the world standard or another digital currency like Bitcoin, then that would threaten Visa and MasterCard's business model. Now, I consider that somewhat unlikely, or at least I consider it unlikely in the short term because Bitcoin has had issues handling a sheer amount of transaction volume that Visa and MasterCard do or that Discover does. And so you need to be aware that although this is a risk, I don't consider it a huge one, but I could certainly be wrong and you need to be aware of it. Another potential threat is a resurgence in cash. And I think this is pretty unlikely. Um, Although I like the idea of using cash. I like the privacy of cash. I think that most of the world doesn't agree. And you're seeing this as people vote with their dollars and vote with their choices. There's a lot of benefits for using credit cards. In fact, I really enjoy using credit cards because it allows me to track my spending very well. It's very easy for me to export my spending to an Excel file and use that for my budgeting process and tracking of expenses. I can't easily do that with cash and it takes more work. So cash is less convenient, but I do think that cash causes you to spend less money. So there are certainly trade-offs here that could cause there to be a resurgence in cash. However, it seems that many of the central banks in the world, including in Europe and the United States, are fighting this trend. If they could, I would assume they would like to outlaw cash because it allows some people to not pay taxes. Um, 
I think that would be a tragedy, but I think it's something that is a potential threat because if cash were to resurge into higher prominence, you would see a decline in the value of Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. Of course, that doesn't count any number of other companies that could come into play. There could be another credit card company that takes market share. Um, there could be a company that bypasses uh, credit cards and completely, you know, a company like Square, a company like Apple um, using Apple Pay, a company like Alibaba using Alipay. Um, Companies like this that could change the way we do payments could steal market share from Visa and MasterCard. They could steal from the growth of these companies. And so it's certainly a potential threat to consider. But what I find most attractive about credit card companies is that they are a company that give you that inflation adjusted sales growth. And I think it's really hard to underestimate this. This is a powerful tool to have in your portfolio. And there's my other favorite companies that I own have this capability to automatically inflation adjust their sales um, just based upon how their business is structured and how they have negotiated contracts. But with the credit card industry, your sales automatically grow with inflation. And that is a huge benefit. All you have to do is find the right price um, and get in at the right moment. And these are very interesting companies to have as a cornerstone in your investment portfolio. Um, Certainly, I'd be interested in purchasing Visa and MasterCard if they were trading at a cheap price like 10 times earnings, like I've said before. Um, But I I find for that reason um, that I've started to consider more and more the bank versions of the credit card companies, and that's American Express and Discover because they offer some of those same advantages. Um, The unfortunate side is they're not earning most of their earnings from the payment processing fees, but they earn most of their earnings from interest, and that opens you up more to bank risks, which is one reason that you'll find in my next podcast, I want to talk about investing in banks. And I'll probably prominently feature Discover some more in that podcast as a talking point about banks because I've been looking into banks as recent investments due to them being priced for declines in earnings. It's always interesting when you can buy companies trading less than 10 times earnings because it means your earnings yield exceeds 10%. And as you've probably heard on the podcast before, my discount rate that I use for my investments is 10%. So if the company is already trading, offering me a 10% return without growth and yet is growing, that's very attractive for a margin of safety in my investments. So I hope this has given you something to think about. Obviously, this is not a recommendation to purchase any of these companies. I do not offer recommendations to buy companies. This is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. But I think it's worth considering credit card companies. And I think you should do your own research to investigate them because I find them particularly interesting as an investment. And they are some of the highest quality companies in the world if you're able to get them at the right price. So In summary, investing in credit cards companies is an extremely attractive proposition, and I am particularly attracted to their inflation-adjusted growth. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 43. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you have gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. You can find a link to that to the patron page for this podcast in the show notes. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investment content without advertisements. If you can't show, support the show financially or are unwilling to support the show financially, I fully understand. And I, But I would appreciate if you consider giving me a five-star review on your podcast player. Supporting me in a non-financial way here is very helpful to me. So please give me a one-sentence review or multiple. I'll take a whole paragraph if that's what you want to give. Um, and, and just leave a review and a five-star rating if, if I've earned that because that'll help me to grow the podcast. And that really helps me um, in growing the audience of this show. So thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.